It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday june 1st and you're listening to episode 418 here's jason uh once again joined by julio hey man how's it going hey everybody doing good jason how about you pretty good pretty good yeah and uh Somehow it feels like an eternity since we've talked, but I think that's just because we've all just been still at home. So uh, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, I know well, I, you, you get out I for get work, to listen right? To you. Yeah, I get to, to listen to you through the podcast once a week. So it feels like I, I, I know what, what you've been up to some, but uh, uh, right. I mean, for, for me, it's been, it's been a lot of just kind of working from home still and and going out to the field, that's always nice. So Right. That is one benefit to your job is that you do get out in the wilderness quite a bit, which is nice because, uh, yeah, because we could all use that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, I actually asked my, my wife, uh, Jaceli, that's her name just for reference, and, and she, I asked her if she wanted to come with me on, on one of my inspections that I needed to do. And of course I had to take my own personal vehicle for that. And, and she was like, yeah, I'll do it. And, and it, it was kind of nice getting to do my work, but still be with, with, with her. And, yeah. and at the same time, it was funny because we, we took a, one of our vehicles. It doesn't have four wheel drive. And I went to a road on the forest that, it actually the road was pretty bad uh, oh, no. because it had been raining so much. <laughs> right, right. And man, <laughs> I've, I've, uh, you know, I have experience driving all those roads. So, uh, but she was scared because I it bet. was so muddy, and and she was like, "If we get stuck, you know that you're gonna the, you're gonna be the one getting out and pushing the the car, right?" <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So I was extra careful. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I guess you take for granted when you're normally in probably one of the service trucks, right? Going out there, it's a little easier. Yeah, yeah. All, all the vehicles have four-wheel drive and they're <laughs> I would high hope. clearance and all that. So, <laughs> Yeah, but it, it worked out. That was, a, that was a fun day. That's funny. But uh, yeah. I guess the, the main reason why, I mean, I, she's been staying at home quite a lot. Uh, she hasn't been feeling well because uh, I, one of the, I guess I've been... I'm going to be a part of one of the best designs ever. And that's that uh, my wife is pregnant. So, hey, congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. It's, uh, it's going to be our first child. Um, and it's been, she's been very nauseous for the past couple of weeks. Yeah. So, working from home has definitely been a blessing of sorts because I, I get to be there when she's not feeling well. Right, right. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. So yeah, you this first kid, like you said, right, right. Super cool. Yeah, yeah, and and for the builders, I mean, um, I guess age is something that we usually don't talk about, but uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm 28, so it's one of those things that it's kind of worked out because we've been met, we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary, um, so it's kind of as part of the plan, you know? So right. I, I'm excited. Yeah, that's great. No, we, uh, we waited 10 years after getting married to have kids. So yeah, I, uh, Oh wow. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. Take your time. <laughs> it's all good or don't. It's really up to any yeah. person who wants to do whatever they want to do. So, 
<laughs> um, yeah, so so at least that gives get, that gives the the builders a little perspective of what I've been up to there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so, right. how about you, Jason? Um, yeah, well, no, uh, no big news about kids, so that's that's good. Um, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been doing some follow up on some pitches of late. Um, uh, I got so I worked on an education game uh, a while back. I talked about this on the show quite a while ago, and there were some issues with the printer with that, and um, just going back and forth, uh, and then all the pandemic stuff hit. But I finally just today. I got my designer copies. It's the first time I've seen the game, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Uh, I got nice. to play with the kids tonight. I'll share a bunch of pictures and stuff and more info about it on the probably on the next episode. Uh, hopefully by then it will be is released. This, is this one of the games that you're gonna be putting on Kickstarter? Oh no no no! It's uh, a company uh, hired me to design it. Uh, an education company hired oh, okay. me to design it for them. Uh, it's a game that helps kids learn how to read. Um, while providing a fun experience in, in addition to that. Um, it revolves a lot around learning sight words and things like that. Um, but it was a lot of fun to design, and it's it's very different than anything I've worked on before because um, just because of the parameters of the project. Uh, but they did a, a real fun job with production. I like the way the game looks and uh, what they did. Uh, and yeah, I'll be able to share more information about that uh Probably, probably on the next episode. Maybe the one after that depends on how quickly they launch okay. it officially on their website. Uh, but they are no, they they've printed well, all the copies and now they just have to sell it. So cool, cool. I mean that that's awesome because I guess uh, with everything going on, getting getting something positive uh, out there is 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 definitely a nice pick me up for sure. Yeah, and I I should have some more positive news to share over the next few episodes. I think. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that too. Just, uh, for, for being not available to go to any conventions cause they've all been canceled. Uh, you know, uh, I've actually been doing all right with getting in front of publishers. Uh, haven't been doing as much design work as I would like to do, uh, some, um, with mostly with just a couple co-designers, uh, but still not as much as I would like to be doing. Um, cause the days get busy with the kids. Uh, but but yeah, so I still have been able to get in front of publishers, which has been which has been very nice, and I've been very uh, privileged to be able to do that. That's great. That's great. I mean, for me, I've 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 been doing some pitching as well. Um, it's funny because I usually leave like international pitching to Gen Con, but I think having my games in Tabletop Simulator has definitely helped on that regard. And I've I've had some some interest from some games, and I've been able to pitch it and play it with the publishers, uh, you know, a thousand plus miles away. So that's been fun. Um, I guess one thing that I've been working on this past month is I've I've been doing some co-designs for I guess since the pandemic started, I started doing some more co-designing. So I've been working pretty hard on that. I think it's like four or five co-designs. But um, one of the things that was announced, I guess, before uh, we talked last time was the Korea Board Games Design Contest, which I mentioned I, I got second place last year. And, and this year, their theme was Korea, which was interesting because they usually go for uh, kids games or, or special components games and stuff like that. And for this one, it's just uh, it's pretty broad in the sense that you know it doesn't have to be patriotic or or it, anything that has it can be taekwondo or or anything related to Korea. 
And and I thought that's an interesting one. And I had an idea for for a game. And in the past three weeks, it's been my whole focus has been shifting to that specific game. And I mean, I'm super happy with where it's at right now. It's called uh, National Treasures. Um, nice. And it probably has a colon Korea because it's kind of the type of game that you could implement to any country or any continent or any or even the the whole world um so it, it's actually like uh you're you're kind of trying to you're experiencing the national treasures that korea has to offer mm-hmm. and the national treasures are based off geographical historical cultural and natural treasures so it's kind of like an engine building game that uses a map of korea and you has this area control and all these cards, which is a 120-card deck, I search research information on different things related to Korea. And, man, it took me a while. But knowing now that I know Nandek, it was so easy to iterate. And doing uh, the remote playtesting group, uh, I've been doing playtesting twice a week. So at That's this point, awesome. I'm... Yeah, oh man, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I've, it's one of those things that it's been a while since I focus on just one thing, and it, it really kind of reminds me of man, I can get a lot of work done if I just focus on one thing and not fifteen different things. If you're not working on twelve games at once that involve eight hour prototypes, <laughs> yeah, hey, imagine that. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I mean, this game came to completion without even bringing it to a physical table. Like I right now I'm I'm preparing the physical prototype after I did the whole design part because the deadline for this is going to be uh June 5th. So it's next week. Um so so yeah, that's uh that's one of the things design-wise, but one of the things that with the pandemic that really brought forward to me was that I'm going to be spending a lot of time at home for this, you know, this whole year. And, and as you all And know, also next uh, year, buddy, cuz you're going to have a kid, so Yeah, that that's true. That's true. And and so one thing that I've been kind of uh holding on for a while is as you all know, I'm a civil engineer, and the way civil engineering works is that you have to take two main exams. The first one is called the Fundamental Engineering Exam, and you take that before you graduate. And and after you pass that, you get you need four years of experience working under a professional engineer to be able to take the professional engineering exam. And I've already made my fifth year uh, working under a professional engineer, and I still haven't taken that exam because it's a pretty hefty exam. You got to study a lot and stuff like that. And I decided I'm gonna take the plunge and I'm gonna take the PE this year. Awesome. So, so I got my books, and I'm gonna be starting in June, and the exam is on in October, and that's gonna be in New York. So I'm gonna have to travel to New York to take an exam. Very cool. Very cool. My big, uh, yeah. my big so, project. Oh, go ahead. No, go. Ahead. I would say my big project outside of um, uh, the game stuff and the kid stuff. Two things I've been doing lately. One is building a huge playset in the backyard. One of those big wood monstrosities <laughs> with a slide and swings and stuff. Because uh, uh, as my daughter said, if we can't go to the playground, we'll have the playground come to us. 
Got you, COVID-19. Nice. That's what she said. <laughs> we got you, COVID-19. <laughs> uh, and two is um, I have been putting together an arcade cabinet. Um, so oh. uh, Rob actually did this a while back after he left the show. That was his big project. And I've been thinking about it for a while. And so I did some research. I was talking to Rob about it. And uh, I'm so I'm programming a Raspberry Pi right now with all the needed stuff. And then he built himself a cabinet. I was like, you know, I could do that. Or I could hire my contractor friend to do it for me uh, because he'll do a real nice job. And <laughs> hey, guess what? He's doing a real nice job. So that's almost done. Uh, I have to finish the programming. So hopefully in the next two, three weeks, I'll be having that in my office down here, uh, which will kill my productivity. But boy, it'll be fun. Uh, it should be able to play pretty much every old arcade game um, and all the old Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, Sega, Sega CD, Sega Genesis, um, the old 3DS wow. maybe or Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty exciting and it, it'll look like a legit arcade cabinet. Um, when it's done, I'll share some pics of it. I'm really happy with how it's coming along. And, uh, yeah. And, and my friend is, uh, he's a carpenter and he loves it. Cause I'm always bringing him stuff like, Hey, so you can build a house, but can you build an arcade cabinet? <laughs> you know, or like we always have these weird things for him to build for us and, uh, he loves a challenge. So yeah. So I'm excited about that. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. I, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that I really missed from when I was younger, and and there's still some around, but you know, arcades are de- were definitely my bread and butter. Me growing up, and and you know, arcade cabinets are definitely a little for uh, a little older than that. But uh, that's definitely something fun, especially if you can have so many games in just one cabinet. That sounds awesome. I know on a computer that literally fits in my hand. Like the Raspberry Pi is so. If you've never seen one before, I yeah. hadn't until I got one, and it is literally. Gosh, four inches long in the case, like inside the actual case that I bought for it. Um, if you're looking for a good yeah, Raspberry Pi kit, I for the builders out there, I strongly suggest Canakit or Canakit. It's C A N A K I T. Um, for a hundred bucks, I got uh, the the newest model Raspberry Pi. I think it was the four B plus um, plus. It's got um, the the case, uh, a fan. Um, it comes with a bunch of software for it, all different things like, and it was, it just made it really easy for me not knowing much about it. And rather than just trying to like piece it all together myself, it was like, here it is. And then off Amazon, I bought the joysticks and the button, um, arrays. And, uh, yeah, I happen to have a old smart TV that's about five, six years old. That'll work for it real nice. Um, so mounted that inside the cabinet Gonna put some sweet lights in there so it like lights up on the outside, like on the masthead of it. So it'll be fun. It's gonna be fun. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I I actually used to play uh, Street Fighter a little competitively, and I bought myself my own uh, fight stick. It would cost like one hundred and fifty dollars at the time. So, and I still have it. I like customized it for my own character and stuff like that. So that's a little of my young in days. Nice, nice. Yeah, Street Fighter 2 was one of the ones I saw in there, and I was real excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, another thing, um, one last thing is that, uh, so as things start opening up, uh, so in near Asheville, we're on phase one. So a lot of uh, stores are open with limited capacity of customers. And, you know, restaurants are still closed, just curbside pickup and, and delivery and all that stuff. But I've been, I you know, in the past three months, I've gained some nice uh, quarantine weight. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, 
I've been doing some exercising, like running around the the you know the neighborhood, and I actually got like just dance and started doing some of that and and but I I've been wanting to do something a little more strenuous. And I when I was in college, I played some tennis. I self you know self taught mainly, and I have a friend that plays tennis. So we actually I thought, man, tennis is the perfect uh, social distance <laughs> right uh, yeah sport. So, so we actually started doing that this week. So hopefully, I'll I'll keep on that and and get go outside and, and exercise. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, if you want a sport where you're as far away from each other as possible, it doesn't get much better than tennis. I mean, honestly, that is like your best social distance sport. Yeah, it's a. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Well, we uh, but, uh, you have a topic. We should we should roll into that here. We've been going for a bit here. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I'm the one that you know stay know. on point, but uh, <laughs> but I guess Wrangle the, the topic that I'm bringing it's uh it's it's I guess it's not as an exciting topic, but it's something that is so important, and for designers it's usually just kind of a side thing, and it's rules writing. Um, the reason why I'm bringing this one is because, as I said, I was working on the on the National Treasures game, and right now I finished my my first draft of rules, and I, and that was what's been in, on my mind, uh, rules writing, because all of us designers, doesn't matter what kind of de- of game you design, at some point you have to write down those rules. Unfortunately, and I don't know about you. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but uh probably 90 percent of us designers uh we aren't technical writers correct yes rules writing is usually a very difficult process um so so that's why i wanted to bring that up yeah you know um what's interesting is even though i feel like more and more uh when i see different rules from designers we're we're I feel like we're doing a better job of being closer on how we write rules. The process mm-hmm. that we all go through is so different for all of us, right? It's not the same for any yeah. two designers. Um, even designers, I feel like, that use the same template still have very different processes in how they do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and one thing, as you get more experience, obviously, if you have designed more games, you usually have, like you said, a template of, of what you do for your rules. And and I just wanted to go through, you know, what your process and my process is, and we can compare notes, and hopefully the listener can get something from that, and, and maybe they can share their experiences with writing rules as well. That makes sense to me. Sounds good. So since it's so fresh in my mind, uh, my mind, I'm going to go first. And again, you can interrupt me at any time. But like I said, first of all, when I first started writing rules, um, I had worked as a civil engineer writing specs for specifications for construction, uh, which which uh, that's obviously very important because it follows a certain process that contractors have to follow to be able to construct things accurately. So uh, I kind of use that same process to be a little organized in a sense. And what I mainly do with my rules writing is uh, writing in sections. So mostly all of my rules have seven sections. 
And I'm going to go through each of them. And the first five are going to be pretty fast because that's pretty much the first uh, page of the rule book. But number one is the title. <laughs> it's the easiest one, but definitely one you don't want to miss is just have the right. title of your game as a bigger lettering, you know, the name of the game. In this case, you know, National Treasures or, or whatever. Uh, the second one is kind of the, the, the general details. And, and for this one, it's kind of the main things that you would say in an elevator pitch in less than a minute. You know, how many players does it play? Uh, what's the age range? Uh, how long does it play? And kind of the, the categories of the of a game. So is it hand management or what mechanisms does, does it do? And engine building, air control in this case. So that's, uh, th- that's kind of the first two that are definitely the first thing that people can see and and relate to the game, which is usually what you see on the box, right? On the side of the box, you mm-hmm. see the name and and that 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 main information, uh, except the category of, of gameplay and stuff like that. Um, the the next thing, the next section would be an introduction, and and with that, I actually have uh, some some information about what the game is about. And especially if it has a good theme, you can give it the little twist of what you are doing as a player, because this is what gets people interested in keep reading, right? You you kind of have you you know in this case, oh, you you're visiting the beautiful Republic of Korea to experience all the wonderful treasures it has to offer. Well, you know that's that's a, a nice little uh, sentence there to get you started on what you're expected in the game. And, and as part of his, this introduction, and is kind of the first uh, reference to a mechanism in the game, and is the objective. You know, what's the objective of the game? Because telling players the objective as the first thing related to the game gives them a reference to every rule they read afterwards. So once you tell them, you know, in this game, the, the complete treasure cards to enhance your engine and gain points. After one player collects their 10th treasure, all players will score and treasures, and whoever has the most points wins. Two sentences, and hopefully you, you don't know what treasure cards are. Uh, you, you just know that you have to collect 10 to end the game, and you're going to gain points throughout the way. Straightforward. Uh, but one thing's for sure is that in these three sections, this is actually what I, what I use to prepare my sell sheets. Uh, right. So, you know, you don't want to double your efforts, right? You have all this information and these main uh, parts of the introduction will be the premise and the summary of the game, of the objective in this case. So I'm, I'm just going to open it up to you. I know I've been kind of rambling, but if you want to. Yeah, so I too actually have seven sections. Uh, I was writing them down as you were talking and just completely not listening to what you were saying. No, I'm kidding, but I was jotting them down kind of as I was jotting yours down. Um, you know, and the first thing, yes, you mentioned the title. Uh, with that, I always lump the designer credit just so they know who designed it. And then also my contact info because uh, I want that to be front and center. So if they want to be able to contact me, in fact, I usually actually. Um, put my email right in there with my name um, because I want that to be easy for them to see just in case later they want to look back. They don't have to look for it. Um, two, uh, I would actually put um, playtime, age range, all that jazz, just like you would. The one thing I don't do is I don't usually list mechanics. 
And I think that I need to do that more. I've seen that in some different designer um, stuff and I, I should be better about that. Um, and then next. So next you said that you list kind of the gist of the game. Like here's what you're trying to do. Um, here's a little summary. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I like that a lot. So when I misspoke, actually, my second thing is actually not what I said. The third thing is what I said. Um, no. Um, yeah. The second thing is two things. Sorry. When included in the second thing, I also use some flavor text. Uh, to kind of like you were saying, you know, come to the beautiful country of Korea, but I'll be like, this is a situation. Can you do this? Can you be the best at this and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so kind of stating the goal of the game, but in a, in an exciting way, um, is my hope. Yeah. And then my third is actually a component list, uh, which a lot of people argue isn't necessary in a rule set, but I think for publishers, it's nice to see a list of components because they know what they're getting into for publishing right then so yeah and and so that's actually my fourth section uh so one little aside when you said game designer and contact information so i what i actually do there is uh you know how the margin you can put like the page number and all that so on the top of the margins i have my page numbers which will definitely be very useful in the case where you have a longer longer rules right for a for a bigger game having page numbers and, and attaching those page numbers for reference uh, in your rules would be useful. But on the bottom of the margin, that's where I actually put my, my designer credit and contact information. Uh, so actually all the pages have that information. I like in that. In case, you know, our, you know our, uh, uh, one of the pages gets lost and somebody finds it, that that information is there with even the contact information. Um, and, mm. and even one more thing on the bottom. So I actually have the name and contact on the bottom left on the bottom, right? I actually put the revision of the rules. Uh, so a date of the last revision, because as we go through different iterations, those rules are going to change. And you don't <laughs> yeah. want to write. Yeah. You don't want to write over the older rules. You can sometimes have them for, for past reference. Uh, so this will definitely help you keep track of that so i you don't know what version is yep yeah i have a huge problem with that and i need to start using that because so i do everything in google drive but of course i can't just print it out of google drive because it looks weird so i drop it down to um word and i'll usually quick do a couple formatting things um because my goal most of my games are pretty straightforward and a little less complex than say yours might be right um, so I, yeah. most of the time, most of the time, not always, but most of the time I can fit the rules for my games, one page front and back. If I do narrow margins and, um, you know, and a, so that's, that's Small usually, lettering. you know, just like standard font, like 12, 11 or 12, I think, um, I can okay. usually fit it all within those two pages. Not always. Um, but when I can, that just you know that takes away any worry about numbering and things like that um that said when i haven't yes page numbers very important people need to make sure they're doing that because there's nothing worse than trying to look something up the rules and not finding it because you're just like flipping around trying to find the right page yeah yeah and and those pages may get uh spread out and and they're not together i mean you know they're not together so you don't know which one goes after which so that's just a simple thing that you can do so going back to the components 
Um, that's my section four. And what I do is I have a little small table of components where I have the name of the component and next to it, I have the quantity of that, how many of that component there are, and then a letter to reference that component. Because under that, I actually have my first graphic, which is a, a, a visual of all the components together. And depending on how your game is, I sometimes have that as a separate graphic. And then on my section five, which is game setup, I have another graphic with the game setup. But sometimes if the game is simple enough, I actually have the components and the setup as one graphic. And you right. just reference on each different uh, component, the letter next to it. So people know and can say, okay, A is the game board. Okay, A. There's the, the visual of the game board. Cool. I know what each component is and what it looks like. Um, because some some things we like, we like to give it that thematic name, right? Oh, this is the, the treasure card. But then you have seven decks of cards. So, so you got to make sure that people can reference the right ones. Yep. No, that's, uh, that is really, yeah. That's really smart. I like that. Yeah. So, so the, so that's, uh, the number four and the number. So before I get into number five game setup, so the, the number one through four is basically your sell sheet. You have all the information that you need for your sell sheet and you can just do a copy paste. And of course change maybe the formatting of how sell sheet is going to look. And that that's pretty much what you need. Your title, general yeah. details, introduction and components. That's usually what I put in. And of course, a picture of the gameplay being made during in a sell sheet. That's usually what I do there. Um, so game setup. In game setup, this is where I start being a little picky regarding the sections because I start doing subsections of during my section. So if a section is five, then my subsection is going to be five A, or sometimes it's just A. And, and this just gives players a continuation of what goes on on this section. And when you divide into subsections, you can write your, your uh, steps in smaller chunks, in sentences. Sometimes people have this big, big paragraphs of five sentences, and, and that's just your setup. And it's hard to follow mm -hmm. when you have a string of letters and, and, and you don't know when to stop and... and, and You know. Right, right. I do that as well. You, that's doing paragraphs of text is the worst thing, um, because especially in that setup, people need to have clear one-step directions. Take this pile, shuffle yeah. it, put it there. Do this with the rest. Then you know, like so. I always I don't label them by like separate pieces in the section, but I start new paragraph, new sentences uh, in a new paragraph, basically every line of do these two things. Okay, now do these two things. Okay, now. So there's always a return and a space between. Yeah, so the reason why I divide it into subsections is because sometimes when you are in one of those subsections, you need to go even further to another subsection. Because for example, I have one that says, uh, one that says that shuffle the treasure card deck and place it face down within reach of all players. And then under that, It's a subsection that says, deal a hand of three cards to every player. And then number two, draw and place four cards face up to make a draw area. So it's all related to the treasure card deck, but it's different steps be, you know, be above those steps that you're already doing. 
So it, it's just a nice way to for that it has worked for me to follow. Yeah, um, that's great. You can tell you're an engineer writing as an engineer, but <laughs> it's good though. It's a good thing. And, and one thing's for sure is that, I mean, I don't think I've ever had like a publisher come to me after getting my game to evaluate it and say, I, I couldn't play the game because the rules weren't, were, so maybe they still have problems and they send me some, some questions regarding specific things, but I think it has worked so far really well. Um, one last thing before I go to the sixth one on game setup is that whenever I mention a component... Uh, for the first time, I try to put that component in, in bold. So on the first step, which says, place the Korea game board in the center of the table within reach of all players, I put Korea game board in bold because that's a that's component good. and you have to grab it and, and place it somewhere. So that's that's the first time and only time I put a component in bold, just so people know when they are using that specific component to set up. That makes a lot of sense. And, of course, when you're doing the setup, uh, you're addressing players. So I like to use the, the whole second-person perspective. It just makes things so much easier. When you're, you know, when you're addressing people like you, you know, like I'm saying, place the, ga the game board, right? I'm addressing you. But you can say a player places the game board, third-person. It just takes so much more time, and it's a little more confusing. A lot more confusing in my perspective, really. I agree. Um, so the the next one, and I'm gonna go not gonna go into detail on this one, but the sixth one, and it's the biggest one, is the summary of of gameplay and right. and and the game system. So in this one, you're you're gonna go through all your all your game mechanisms and what you're trying to do and how you score and all that stuff. But again, I'm trying to do it in a sense of subsections. And I try to start off with the basic or most important thing. So in the case of the game of Korea, you know, uh, in this one, the first thing that I say is you are placing player tokens on different regions of the map to complete treasure cards from your hand and gain points throughout the game. Again, it's kind of like going back to that introduction, but on a little more specific. And then after that, I have a graphic of what a treasure card is. And again, graphics, pictures are very important. You know, th there's a saying, uh, a picture is worth a, th a thousand words. Uh, and, and I think that's that's awesome because that that's definitely true for sure. And when it comes to rule books, they are super useful. And the more you have, the better. Of course, you don't want to replace your rules with pictures but sometimes, in, in even with uh, simple games, that actually may be the case. And you can see that in mass market games. They have just pictures, and, and that shows how the game is played. Yeah, no, you, you really... That's something I tried to get away from for a long time, but having pictures and graphics is so, so helpful. It really is. Yeah, yeah, and... And one thing, you know, as the designer, you've already worked on the graphics for the for the game, even if you don't know it, because you have the files for the cards, you have the files for the board, you have the files for the tokens. So it's just for you to, you know, do a insert 
pictures on your Word document. And then Word has some some pretty nifty tools that you can actually give it ro 3D rotation so the board looks like it's it's a, a isometric view. And that actually helps you. And you can put like little tokens and stuff like that. And, and that can help you a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess uh, one thing uh, on, on this one for sure is that the more complicated your game is, the longer it's going to take you to explain your system, correct? Right. Now, if you start off with the most basic things of the game, as you go to more complicated things, you can start referencing what you've already talked about. And that's where the sections come in very handy. So in the case of one section here, I'm saying... Um, when you finish performing actions, you will score the bottom of each column. Uh, and then I put in parentheses, see section 6.d.4. Uh, and that lets players know, oh, okay, so I have to go to this section, which I already read, uh, and see what that is again. Because, right. And that's where, you know, if you have your sections written out with subsections, it's just so much easier to reference. Yep, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Jason, this is your podcast too. You can you can also talk about your process if you want. Well, I mean, your process is is better, so we might as well talk about yours. No, I, I do a lot of the same things you do. You just do them with more specificity and more detail, um, which is good. Again, I, I do think that the more complex a game is, or the more unique a game is, um, the more it requires these specific sections and things like that um that make it really important right so um but i think any designer should always err on the side of specificity um simply because you don't want a publisher or a blind play tester to get your game and be like i don't know how to play this like that's not good so you don't want that yeah yeah i agree i agree um now one one thing regarding the graphics when you're explaining the games is that having examples listed next to your graphics where you're writing down what you are doing in this graphic as an example it's going to be very useful as well and you know as i just learned tabletop simulator not long ago i think tabletop simulator could be a really good tool to use for your graphics because you have your game in a digital format you can do a print screen and mm -hmm. then you can just set it up on your rules and that and there's that you know, even it's even faster to get your, your graphics together because you have a digital 3D media that allows you to do that. Um, one last thing on, on, the, on the summary of uh, when you're writing down mechanisms is that underline words that are important. I talked about putting in bold uh, something. So bold, I sometimes when I have like actions, if I say, okay, do one of the five actions. Every time I mention one of those actions, I put it in bold. But when you want to put some emphasis on a specific thing that people may just read over and not think about, underline. For example, uh, on this, and this is a section seven, which is end game, but I put in, after the game end is triggered, all other players will get one more turn before the game ends. And I underlined other. Because when you're reading that, you think everybody's going to get one last turn after it's triggered. No. The player that triggers it will not get another turn. That's why all other right. 
players will get one more turn. That's a good point. And, and that's when, you know, when you're starting to blind play test your rules, if you do that, make sure to keep track of those specific details that players miss. And that's when you may want to start putting those underlining those sections just to give it a little more emphasis there. Right. And I also will use the tactic of putting a star and saying note in capital letters. Yeah. You know, then blah, 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 blah. Usually I do that if if something works specifically like... 90% of the time you do it this one way, but in this specific instance, you don't, I would say note in this instance, if this happens, this is what you do, right? Because my thought is that most of the time players don't actually care about that when they're reading the rules the first time, right? But when they have to come back yeah. to it and say, "Uh oh, this happened, what do we do now? They're going to go, oh, ooh, ooh, right there. Note this. Okay. Boom. Yep. Got it. Um, the other thing yeah. that I include a lot of times if my game has numerous cards or card types, I will have a section that's will say card types or cards, and then it will list the name of every card and then define what specifically the role of that card is in the game or that component. Yeah. Um, usually with cards because I design more card games, but um, I find that that's really useful for players to be able to just say, wait, what's a treasure card again? Oh, a treasure card is blah, 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 blah. Great. Got it. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's something that I definitely need to to add to mine because sometimes when you have a lot of cards that have specific effects, uh, after you've done all your rules, you may want to have a reference section that goes more into detail to what those effects do and maybe some side rules when some things happen. So like a fact sheet, and, and I haven't really done those much because I usually don't have a lot of text on cards and stuff, uh, but that, right. those are definitely useful. So, so the last section, the, it, it, and I already alluded to it, is the end game. So how does the game end, and who? how do you win? You know, yep. You've already That's mentioned the, too. your objective. How do you win? But how do you gain more points? If there's any end game points, anything that has to do with the end game, that's where that goes. And, and that's pretty much uh, a quick overview of how I kind of do my, my rules there. Um, any, any, and I think having a one last graphic where you have an end game state can be very useful, especially if you're explaining how people are getting points based right. on that graphic. Especially if so. the end game state looks a certain way, continue like it will always look like you know you're you're filling in a board or you're doing something to where at the end of the game it's going to have a certain thing that you want to call out. Absolutely, a graphic at the end is good. Also noting that, yes, special endgame scoring, I always break that out separately if that's a thing. Um, yeah, just because that's it's super important to lay that out in a way that is easy to draw the eye to. Yeah, and it gives players a, a, another reference to, okay, at the start of the rulebook, I put in a setup, and this is the end state. So it gives them a good reference point of how the game starts and how it's going to end. And they players can look out for that and see those changes as the game goes. So, and I, I suggest to that if you have some, if you have some different scoring things that are going to make, that are going to be complex throughout the game, um, to have those on a separate sheet or the back of your rules, um, a great example of that in a published game is Sakatsu has a bunch of different ways you score as you're playing, not a bunch of different ways, but based on how you place, you will score different numbers of points based on at the end of the game, how many rows or different things you have, you will score differently. And they put that right on the back of the rule book. 
so that you don't have to look for it in the rules. It's just right there, and you can leave it face up, yeah. and you can just look at it. Um, and I strongly encourage cheat sheets like that, um, even in prototypes, if people are going to be playing with you, to make it easy. I, I do that routinely where I'll make like a little cheat sheet or a cheat card um, that yeah. people can look at. And think about that as well. Like When you're making a player aid, a player reference card... That is an extension mm-hmm. of your rules. That's all that is. It's an extension yep. of your rules given to the players in a different format. So that is something to be cognizant of when you are, you know, writing these different sections of your rules. Yeah. That, yeah, that's exa- that's exactly I mean, having a reference is definitely indispensable in the case when you have a, a, a more complicated rule set that can just help you out because it's not interrupting the flow of the game by somebody asking what does this mean again? What can I do here? And having that reference in front of them can give them that time to think about what they could be doing without interrupting the flow of the game. Um, so that's kind of the seven sections of, of what I do for my rule books. One last thing, and it's funny because I think before I met you, I sent out uh, one of those, I guess it was like a an email for you, for, and they, you and Rob actually read it. And it was using video as as part of your rules in the sense of something to support your rules. And what I actually do, I do like a like a uh, rules overview of my game. Usually under five minutes, the less it takes, the the better. But at least something that gives them an introduction, and it could you actually use as a pitch as well for a publisher. Yep. So. Now, now, what do you do with these is that I use QR codes. So I prepare a, a, a rules overview for my game and I put it on YouTube as unlisted. And then I just take that link and make it a QR code and put it on yep. the front of the page on the top. That's great. And and that just helps tons. I mean, you just get your phone and now these days you just put your camera. You don't even need a QR code app. You put your camera and it will open up the site automatically and see the video. And to just to for builders to know how helpful that is, I was in a pitch meeting uh, last week and I started to explain it. And they said, hey, this says this video will teach us how to play this game in one minute. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it will. And they said, well, why don't we just all watch that together? So we did rather than me actually pitching it because the video was more concise because, hey, I edited it. And when it got done, they were like, oh, yeah, we, we totally get it. Like, boom, done. Um, and so... That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and that saved probably 10 minutes of time because let's be honest, with me trying to explain it and them asking questions during the explanation, it would have been easy 10 minutes. Instead, it was a minute plus about a minute of questions and they just it just made sense to them. So, and most yeah. of the questions were specific things about the game, like, well, if I do this, then how does that work? And they were things that would not have been covered in, in a short rules explanation. So, um, so yeah, I felt really good about that. And the, yeah, and the way technology works these days, I mean, just use your phone, take some videos on your phone and you can use yep. some editing f- software on your phone and you can upload it from your phone. You so have I have to do a production for it. I have a very nice, uh, photo camera that also shoots very nice video i have a gopro i have all these different toys i shoot all of this stuff on my phone right now because it still is the single easiest way to do it and um get it you know back to where i need it to be because i can just airdrop it from my phone to my computer edit it and upload it to google and i'm done like or google or youtube depending on which one i choose so yeah yeah 
And and one last thing on the QR codes, don't lo limit it just to videos. One other thing that I do with the QR codes is that I upload the PDFs of those rules to uh, uh, to Google Drive and have a QR code for that as well. Because usually when people are playing the game, it's more than one person. And either you can have one person teaching the rules and that's fine. But sometimes you're like, okay, we're going to blind play test this. Here's the, the link for the rules so everybody can read it up beforehand. So having a, a QR code for the rules can actually benefit you as well, especially if you can link those rules and update them so people yep. actually have the most current version of those rules without you printing a new rule book every time. One step further than that, you could even link a print and play depending on the game. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, so <laughs> yeah, that was actually one one other the last was thing it? regarding QR codes. <laughs> yeah, so we're on the uh, same. And I've not so ever used QR codes, but that is that's a great idea. That's a super simple way to do that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so hopefully the builders had some some nice little nuggets of wisdom here. And if you all have anything else to add here, anything that has helped you throughout your rules pro pro process, especially as publishers, because publishers they obviously go a step further because this is gonna go to the public. And it has to be the best possible rulebook it can be because it doesn't matter how awesome the game is. If people can't play it or learn how to play it, it's it's not a good game <laughs> in their mind, right? Right. right. Ooh. So that's a wrap. Awesome. You want me to pitch a game? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to be quick on this one because I know we don't have much time. But this game is called DDR, or Dice Dice Revolution. Haven't you pitched this and before? Did I? I thought you pitched this before. Oh, oh man, I forgot about that. I got to start writing down the, the <laughs> ones that I pitched. <laughs> I'm okay. pretty sure you pitched so, this because I remember uh, I really enjoyed the pitch for this. Okay, well, let's switch. I'm going to switch to one that's been a little more current. So, Rainbow Riders. Have I pitched that one? I think you pitched Rainbow Riders as well. Really? Okay. <laughs> that's uh, the one where... Galaxy let me, Discovery. Uh, rainbow Riders is the one where you're flying across the rainbow with the uh, hot air balloons, right? Yep, yep. Yep. Okay, man. Okay, uh, Galaxy Discovery. I know I haven't pitched that one. And you have not. A, a newer one. So you think you think so I don't pay attention, Julio? But I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I gotta start writing th these down because <laughs> I, I know I have a lot of them. I just, I just, those are the ones that come to mind. But uh, so Galaxy Discovery, it's it's a multiple rondelle game where players are are traveling through the different nebulas of the galaxy and and kind of collecting the different objects celestial objects that are in the galaxy by you know visualizing them and the cool thing about this game is that i said a multiple rondelle is because the amount of players dictates how many rondelles you have in the game oh so interesting the the yeah the board is the galax is the galaxy and each uh, rondelle that you attach to this galaxy so it's actually like a flower it's a it's a nebula so as y'all if y'all don't know a galaxy is divided into nebulae and nebulae is divided into star systems and star systems into um no star clusters 
and star clusters into star systems and star system planets and and moons and and asteroids and all that stuff. So so the cool thing is that depending on the number of players, you set up these extra nebula and you make this like this flower. So the game is two to six players. And it's uh you're you're moving ships around the rondelle, but the way it works is like it has like an infinity symbol in the sense that you go around a nebulae, but you can keep going around that nebulae or move around the galaxy and go to another nebulae. So it's like a multiple, I would say like a multiple infinity symbols. So you can go around different ways on, on the rotation so you can have the flow. But in this game, essentially, you're drafting the different cards for the celestial objects to do a little tableau of cards. However, what you're moving around the nebulae is your ships. And your ships can be moved on top of other people. And that will give them actions as well. So it has like this little stacking system that you can move on top of other people to get a stronger action. But then they get a lesser action as well. And when they get to move, if they're below you, they can move you around as well. Because they're they're on top of you. So, so this is a, a game that uh, I guess I started working on it uh, in December. So it's fairly new, and I know it's at a good state. And now that I've written the rules for, for National Treasures, I have so many games that I worked on that I haven't started my writing my rules uh, because, you know, I, I keep getting ideas, and, and now with the pandemic and everything, I don't have, like, a due date for, okay, I got to have the rules ready for this. So <laughs> right. this is... <laughs> yeah, so this is one of those games that I, I need to start writing the rules on. Um, but I guess uh, one one last thing on that one is that you are making this tableau of cards, but the, the cards that you're collecting are celestial objects that are go on levels. So when you collect a star, if you're collecting a planet, the planet has to go below the star because that's how you know planets are usually uh, um, going around a star. And, and then if you collect an asteroid, an asteroid has to be attached to a planet because asteroids just go around the, the different star systems and move around. So it has this leveling system that you got to follow that level and then connect the different systems through wormholes, which is something that is on the back of each card drafted. So it's a little puzzly game that uses like colors and the symbols to be able to make the connections. It's a fairly simple game, but I do like the fact that it scales really well because yeah. the number of players, it takes it takes how many uh, rondelles there are and how many cards are nice. out to be drafted. That's and cool. it looks really cool on the table too, so... Well, when it comes time to write the rules, you can listen to the show again and you'll get lots of helpful tips on how to write the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's funny because I never really thought about it. But, you know, I, when I when I said I wanted to do this topic, I actually wrote down my process and I'm like, I'm actually pretty proud of this process. So it's a good I think, process. I think it's going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, this was a great discussion we had tonight. Um yeah, no, I, uh, I, it's always helped for me to hear what other people are doing. And, uh, I, I myself got some good tips out of things you do a little bit different than me. And I like that. So I will be using those coming up here. Uh, builders though, if you have any other ideas or anything you want to, you want to give us thoughts on, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, but until then, uh, we're going to go ahead and do our spiel here at the end. Uh, oh, real quick before I do that. Hey, uh, I've been tweeting recently every once in a while. I say, Hey, who is free uh, at this time to uh, join me to record the show? 
And uh, so I've been doing that. Uh, generally, we record Thursday nights, 9 p.m. EST. Um, but I'm going to put the call out on the show for those of you who aren't on Twitter. If you are interested in, in being yeah. a co-host for a, for a night, uh, joining me, um, just let me know. Shoot me an email, buildingthegamepodcast.com, or you can always tweet at me at Jason Slingerland, at J.A. Slingerland. Uh, yeah. But I'll uh, do that with some of the, my favorite episodes recently have been with builders who've reached out and said, hey, I'll be on the show and I've uh, had some great discussions. So, yeah, shout out to Roscoe. I really enjoyed the last episode. That was a He's real good a really one. Yeah. Cool designer. So, so, uh, yeah, if you want to be a part of it, you, there's always some a new perspective is always good. That's for sure. Yes. So, all right. If you want to get in touch with us, as I said, go to building the name podcast. Got Tom got. Blah. Let's try that again. If you want to get in touch with us, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at podcastbtg at J.A. Slingerland. And Julio is... At Hunasaru. J-U-N-A-Z-A-R-U. Someday I'm going to be able to do that myself without you correcting me. I say it with you as you say it. And I feel like I'm getting it right. So fingers crossed that eventually I'll, I'll be able to not screw that up. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, all the other nice podcasting services. Uh, and until next time, good night. Buenas noches. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>